0: We continue with God's word now, looking at the prophet Isaiah, reading from the 45th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, who was the ruler of Persia, who liberated the Babylonian captives and let them go back to Israel. Thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their robes, to open doors before him, and the gates shall not be closed. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places. So that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Our second reading today from God's Word comes from the twelfth chapter of Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. Please listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts. But the same spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. Ah. And there are varieties and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The word of the Lord.
0: It's a familiar text for Presbyterians, that's the text read in part of our ordination and installation services as we bring deacons and ruling elders and ministers of word and sacrament before the people of God and uh, commission them to lead us and use their gifts as part of the church to make the body of Christ live and function. It's also uh, a text that for reformed Protestants, of which Presbyterians are a part, uh, really close to our heart because it is the text, among others, that reminds us that everything we have, even our faith, is a gift from God. Our faith is not something we have to generate on our own in order to be acceptable to God. Our behavior, our good works, are all gifts from God. Every, all we can do, as one of my students many years ago said, all we can do is say thank you, God is sovereign. God always reaches out first to us and gives us, even through the Spirit, our ability to trust and have faith in that same Spirit to live. So with that Spirit binding us together, uniting us as one people in person and virtually, please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together upon this, your word to us today, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. In just one minute, exactly 60 seconds, not too many years ago, for an American woman by the name of Margot Ballantyne, who had recently moved to and was living in Scotland and was out one afternoon shopping at her favorite department store, as she often did, uh, In that one minute, it seemed like the entire world was flipped over and turned upside down, and she, Margot Ballantyne, no longer had a place in it. As she was sorting through the stack of scarves, all the other shoppers around Margot suddenly froze in place. All conversation ceased. The music, the muzak coming out of the speaker somewhere in that department store stopped. Sales clerks refused to make eye contact with her and answer Margot's questions. Margot didn't know what to think initially, she was dumbfounded. And at first, she thought, well, maybe it's because she was obviously, or so obviously, an American. Or maybe she had done something else wrong. Or maybe it was what she was wearing. She didn't know. But in just those few terrifying seconds, Margot assumed suddenly that she was unwelcome in that store. That she was out of place. And then she remembered On this particular day, November 11th, in the United Kingdom, no matter what people were doing, where they are, everybody pauses at noon for exactly one minute of silence in honor of Armistice Day, a day set aside to mark the end of World War I, the war supposedly to end all wars. We call that day Veterans Day here in the United States. So after one minute of silence, the shoppers and clerks came back to life, and activity in that store resumed as usual, and Margot felt like she was back on earth and a human being again. Has anything like that ever happened to you? If you've ever lived in New York City, have you ever come up out of the subway and just couldn't figure out where you were? You couldn't get your bearings? It's that kind of feeling, like you're out of sync. It's isolating and can generate fear. And fear, as we know, can generate a lot of other feelings and emotions, including anger and judgment and distancing and things a lot worse. Now, there are a variety of gifts, the Apostle Paul writes in his first letter to the church in Corinth, gifts, charismata. There are a lot of different kind of gifts which are distributed, Paul says, and that's for sure. The problem, Paul's problem here today in Corinthians, our problem, is that our gifts and our uniqueness, our personal weirdness, if you will, can be, and often is, isolating. Or worse, our uniqueness, because it can, when we're isolated, create so much insecurity and fear, can turn us against each other, can lead to tribalism even. One evidence, some of us are right-brained, some of us left-brained. Some of us, I'm told, are sometimes no-brained. You might like to build things or fix things, which I cannot do. Well, I'm, well I might like to draw or paint or make music. Some of, some of us are good with money. Some are good at making people, people feel welcome. Some of us like a good argument, and some of us raised in a WASPy family will avoid conflict or disagreement like it's radioactive. Some of us are conservative, some liberal progressive. Some of us embrace change and difference readily most of the time, and some of us by definition are more cautious and skeptical. Some of us are solidly pro-choice, others not so much gun control, politics, masks, vaccines, climate, religion, favorite sports teams. There's a lot of stuff that makes us us that we don't want to talk about at Thanksgiving anymore. Why? Because it'll lead to some kind of argument, let alone a fight, or even worse, we'll have to confront the unpleasant fact that that person we've loved for years is just crazy. And it's not just Thanksgiving anymore. People are connecting and interacting and dealing with each other in today's world in ways that I and many of us never dreamed possible not that many years ago. Back in those days, you stayed in your lane, bruh. And by which I mean Those of us who had the best lanes, the widest lanes, the lanes that were going somewhere, were quite happy to stay in our lane. And everybody and anybody else who was different, whose lanes weren't as wide or as well-maintained, who didn't necessarily get to go to all the places the rest of us got to go, they were forced back then to stay in their lane, too. But today, it's different. It's changing. The lanes are all merging together more and more, different skin colors, different opinions, different sexual orientation, different politics, different gender identities, different points of view on all of the above and more with social media and an instant news cycle. We're all mixed up together and we're all mixed up in each other's business on a 24 hour cycle, 24 hours a day. There are a variety of gifts, yes there are, great. An article in The Hill just about a month ago had this to say about all the way our gifts and uniqueness and different perspectives mixed together. The Hill wrote, conflict is a word that many associate with global affairs. There are ongoing conflicts, as there always have been in almost every corner of the world, including our own. Conflict is often about power, who has it, who wants it, how to define it, and what those with power will do with it especially as regards their less powerful citizens or neighbors. To be conflicted is a word that carries with it the notion of ambivalence, uncertainty, confusion, and inconsistency in thought or in action. These days, this opinion piece in The Hill said, Americans are both in an active stage of conflict and conflicted about what defines America and what defines being an American. But of course, one thing that makes the Bible a bestseller in America and everyone else for and has been a bestseller for over for thousands of years is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And conflict is a fundamental condition of what it means to be human, as it always has been. We don't have what the Corinthian church wrote to Paul, but we do have his own words coming back to them. We have half of the correspondence between Paul and the church in Corinth. And it's not hard to tell from this text, which Tom read so well, that the Apostle Paul, from a distance, is dealing with some kind of serious conflict. Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, the Greek is pneumatikon. Now concerning, more literally, spiritual people, people. I don't want you to be uninformed. It's almost, almost like Paul was going down a list of problems he'd been presented with, and now he's come to this one. Spiritual people, they're a problem. And I don't want you, friends, to be uninformed, he says. The problem in the church in Corinth, it seems, is that some were there were arguing that speaking in tongues, divinely inspired languages, was the best gift anybody could have the best talent, the best skill, and it made people who were able to speak in tongues better, more superior than everyone else. Speaking in tongues, according to the tongue speakers, was better than preaching, better than singing in the choir or playing the organ or the, or the guitar. It was better than mowing the lawn or keeping the books or fixing the boiler, though today, maybe not. People who could speak in strange Spirit-inspired languages and other people who could interpret those tongues, those languages, were better, they thought, than everybody else. And apparently, they were acting like it. And everybody else didn't like it so much. What a shock. But the people who spoke in tongues, as we often do when we are with each other, believed they were right and everybody else was wrong. That's the result of conflict and difference. And uniqueness can breed and cause difference and tension and all that goes along with it. You know, like so many people around the world, uh, saddened by the death just recently of Desmond Tutu. When I think about Desmond Tutu and all the people who fought for racial justice around the world for so long, um, it's hard these days not to think about how far we've come and at the same time, how far we still have to go. A few years ago, on a British Airways flight from Johannesburg, South Africa, a middle-aged and apparently quite wealthy white South African woman found herself sitting next to a black man. As the passengers were filing in and taking their seats, she called using her call button, a member of the cabin crew, a flight attendant, to ask about her seating. What seems to be the problem, madam, asked the attendant. Well, can't you see, she responded, you've assigned me to sit next to, and she used a South African pejorative word referring to a black native African person. I can't sit, I can't possibly sit next to this person. Please find me another seat as soon as possible. The flight attendant hearing those words and observing the commotion that was clearly clearly stirring up the passengers around this woman and this man commented, please calm down, madam. The flight is very full today, as you can see, but I'm gonna do what I can. I will go and check on the availability of the seats in business or first class. Meanwhile, the woman with a scowl on her face looked at the black man beside her, who was outraged, not to mention all the people around her who were giving her stern stares. And finally, the flight attendant came back and told the woman, Madam, unfortunately, as I thought, Our economy class is completely full everybody all the seats are taken but I've spoken to the cabin services director and business class is also full however we do have just one seat left in first class and before the woman had a chance to comment or answer the flight attendant went on it's most extraordinary to make this kind of upgrade I needed to receive special permission from the captain but given the circumstances the captain felt it was outrageous that someone be forced to sit next to such an obnoxious person. And with that, the flight attendant turned to the black man sitting next to this woman and said, so, sir, if you'd like to gather up your things, I have your seat in first class ready for you. And at that point, all the passengers sitting around stood and gave a standing ovation as the black man walked up to first class. Now, for most of us today, most of us here virtually or in person, that's a feel-good story, or more precisely a feel-good-about-ourselves story, as we tell it and approve and reinforce the fact that we're right and everyone else is probably wrong. That's not why I'm sharing it with you this morning. Because I think telling each other and ourselves the narratives that reinforce our shared points of view doesn't really do much, I'm afraid, other than deepen and widen the gulfs and the distances between us. And I think, frankly, that's a major negative aspect of the internet today. Now what I'm interested in this morning on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, where we know from all that is happening that we still have so far to go is how all those people on that plane who decided to stand and applaud with all their uniqueness and difference and personal weirdnesses found themselves together in that one moment in their rejection of that racist, self-serving, fear-driven perspective. What is it that can draw us out of our isolation and our insecurity and our need to judge and belittle and put others down, and then then can bring us together and help us to recognize our unity, our oneness as human beings, and especially in the church. St. Paul here today says to the Corinthians, who are our ancestors in in the Christian faith, he says to them and to us and to the worldwide church, now there are varieties of gifts but it is the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but it is the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone to each is given a manifestation of the creative life-giving spirit for the common good. For just, Paul says, as one body has, many members, and all the members of that body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So Paul is arguing to this group of people who are caught in this conflict of who's better and who's not better and who's resenting the people who think they are better and all of the judgment and anger and resentment that builds up and guides our actions and words. Paul is saying to them that the spirit of God is present with them now in Christ, is present with us now in Christ who has come and Paul is saying to them you can count on it and that spirit is takes our weirdness and uniqueness and points of view, which can, if we don't watch it, keep us isolated and afraid, and the Spirit takes all of that brokenness and imperfection and beauty and wonder and weaves it all together somehow and makes something miraculous out of it, if we will let it. Takes our gifts and our service and our work and cuts the link, is what Paul really does here in this text today, cut severs the link between our gifts and our status, our ego, and he replaces it with a new connection, a new link, a better connection between our individual gifts, between my individual gifts and your individual gifts, and the greater good. For Paul, the community's health and vitality depend upon each person's contributing what the Spirit offers to them personally. For the common good of all, each person's strangeness and uniqueness and weirdness and wonderfulness, to make up a word, all blended together for the common good. And the common good is where miracles happen, especially in the body of Christ. Fred Buechner says, Whatever you do with your life, whatever you end up achieving or not achieving, the great gift you have in you to give to the world is the gift of who you alone are. Your way of seeing things and saying things and feeling about things, that is like nobody else's. If so much as a single one of you were missing, there would be an empty space at the great feast of life that nobody else in all creation could ever fill. That great feast of life is the vision of the church, God's vision for our human world, where we all have a place and we're all equally valued, infinitely valued. Author and poet Kathleen Norris grew up in Hawaii, went to college in Vermont and became a successful writer, lived in New York City, all before she inherited her grandparents' farm in the bustling metropolis of Lemon, South Dakota. She inherited that farm, that family homestead, in 1974, and there, Kathleen Norris found herself drawn back to the church for the first time in a very long time. Here is what Kathleen Norris said about the church in one of her books called Amazing Grace. From the outside, church congregations can look like a remarkably contentious place, full of hypocrites who talk about love while fighting each other tooth and nail, that, this is the reason why many people give up on them or avoid them completely. On the inside, however, it is a different matter, a matter of struggling to maintain unity as the body of Christ given the fact that we have precious little uniformity. Now, remember, she's saying that about, about a church in South Dakota, which seems kind of a uniform, homogenous place to me. Norris goes on. I have only to look at the congregation I know best, the one I belong to. We are not individuals who have come together because we are like-minded. That is not a church, but a political party. We are like most healthy churches, I think, in that we can do pretty well when it comes to loving and serving God, each other, and the world, but God help us if we have have to agree about anything. I could test our uniformity by suggesting a major remodeling of the sanctuary adopting a new hymnal, or worse, the Holy of Holies remodeling the church kitchen. But I value my life too much. And then Kathleen Norris goes deeper. The church is like the incarnation of Christ itself, a shaky proposition. It is a human institution full of ordinary people, sinners like me, who do and say cruel things but it is also a divinely inspired institution full of good purpose, which partakes of a unity far greater than the sum of its parts. And that is why it is called the body of Christ. May that body live and serve and love and work in the world today, tomorrow, and always to the glory of God. Amen.